Amen. If you're already blessed this morning, say amen. amen. It has been a great time of worship and celebration, and I, I so appreciate uh, Dave's words this morning already. Uh, it is true. One day, every single person will die. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear on that. 100% of 100% of people will die. And so we can't escape that day. We can't put that day off. Um, we don't know when that time will come, but God does. And it is an appointment that is set, and we cannot avoid it. And so the only way we can prepare for a day we don't know when is coming is to use this opportunity right now today to invest in that decision to receive Christ so that we have a guarantee, not a hope like I hope on a star, not a wishful thought, and I wish this to be true, but a confident guarantee that in the Word of God, by the blood of Christ, we have been redeemed and saved and will stand with Him forever and eternity. And so thank you, Dave, for sharing that because it is true. We need to take advantage of the opportunities God has given us. We only have so many breaths. You know, I've been blessed to speak at many funerals, and uh, sometimes people know, sometimes people have time to prepare if they, if they th- think that this person only has so long to live. But oftentimes, there's no warning Oftentimes, there's no, uh, there's no opportunity for me to tell you this is when I'm going to die. Usually, it's unexpected. And every single funeral I do, I share the same truth, that how are we investing in the time we have right now to make a difference in someone's life and allow God to make that difference in your life today. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts. We're going to be in the Word of God quite a bit this morning, so I pray that you have a copy of God's Word, either uh, on a device or maybe in paper form, if you're old school like me. Um, I jokingly say that I, I started using my iPad to, to preach years ago, and I love it. I love having the sermon there. I love having all that on there. I love saving paper and not having to print like eight pages a week in sermons and stuff and then just watch it sit on a shelf somewhere. Um, I love that it's all digital. I can just print it off whenever I want. Uh, but I started using my digital or the iPad for my Bible digitally. And uh, nothing against it. This is not a message against technology, okay? We're not that kind of church. Um, but so, but I, I don't know what it was. I started using my Bible again, and I just I kind of missed having, like, just the book in my hand. I, I know that's weird. Uh, any of you like that with books? You'd rather read, a, like, a real book in your hand than a digital book, okay? Um, studying is the same way. I can get all kinds of resources online and digitally, but there's something about going over to my shelf and pulling that book off the shelf and flipping through the pages I'm sounding really old. Okay, so let's just move on. Okay, so Acts. This morning we're going to get into the book of Acts in just a moment. And we're continuing our series, um, Conversations with God. And we started this last week. And we're kind of walking through the next couple of weeks. And I said it was a four-week series, which it is intended to be. Um, But last time we did this in 2018, it ended up being an eight-week series. And because what was happening is as I was writing these different ideas down for what would be some conversations with God we'd want to have, uh, basically just different topics we kind of want to walk through, uh, it felt like there was, at the end of the four weeks, there was a couple more. And once I did, you know, week five and six, you guys know me, I can't leave it at six. We got to go to eight, right? We got to add two more in there. So, so I don't know how long the Lord's going to let us do this series for, but, but we're just going to keep walking this out. And, and I would love for the conversation to continue. I got to tell you guys, last week it was so cool. Um, after the message, I came down off the stage and had a great conversation with a couple families, just hearing how God was working in their lives and how God was speaking to them and just kind of getting to talk with them. And then even after that, 
uh, through a couple texts, just hearing how God was speaking to people and encouraging them through the Word of God. And so it was just cool that the conversation kind of continued beyond just Sunday morning. Um, and I'll say it again, in 45, 50 minutes, we're not going to like expound on every possible kind of thread that could come out of these different topics and these conversations. And so that's not the point of this. The point of this is to give kind of a baseline of in this area, this is what we believe God would say about this. And so now we can use that to get into God's word and kind of unpack it even more in our personal lives. So this is not meant to be exhaustive, okay? You might say, well, you talked about this topic, but I I think you could have went this way with that one part and applied it this way. That's great, then that's how God is applying that to your life. And praise God for that. Amen. Praise God that we can be shown the word of God corporately together and then we can go home in our private lives and we can dive into the things of God and he continues to lead us and guide us. And so if you have anything that you feel like, I would love to ask God this. And I know we say that, right? When I die and go to heaven, I'm going to ask God this question. No, you won't. Do you know what we're going to do when we see God? Fall right on our face, right? I mean, just read scripture. How many times did people stand, great people of God, see God and fall flat on their face as the Bible says dead men, right? Now, they weren't really dead. It means that they were overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of God's presence. And so, but understanding that, if you could ask God something, maybe you have something you're like, I've always kind of wanted to know about this or that. Then, then shoot me a message. Let me know. I'm not saying for sure we'll get to it, but I'd love to kind of hear from you. And maybe that might even tie into one of our future talks. And as I said already, we did this series uh, two years ago, the series Conversations with God. And we looked at eight different topics. These are different topics than we looked at two years ago. Um, and so lots of things in there. We talked about faith. We talked about tithing. Um, we talked about the sanctity of human life, which is vital, I believe, as followers of Christ to really hold to that truth that all life is sacred and intrinsically valuable, uh, not just before a child is born, but after a child is born. We need to see life as valuable and sacred. And so we talked about that at pretty good lengths. We talked about um, the issue of homosexuality and, and how do we as Christians approach that issue, understanding God's word says it's a sin, uh, that it's a, it's a perversion of God's uh, design, just like any other sexual sin would be. Um, but when we talk about that, we talk about, well, how do we as Christians, we know that to be true. Now, how do we have a conversation with someone that is kind of battling that sin? Because see, and most times in Christianity, this is what happens when you deal with that kind of sin, or really a lot of sin issues. We go from one end of the spectrum to the other. We either, that's wrong, God's word says it's wrong, and so we just jump all over and attack somebody. Or we go the other way, and because we want to be loving and gracious and show the love and grace of God, we're afraid to address the sin part of the issue. So we're kind of stuck at two ends of a spectrum. So how do we, how do we bridge that? How do we say it's a sin and God's word is it this is the best for you? And this is how we approach that with a gracious mindset. And so a lot of things we unpacked a couple years ago. So if you did not get that series, you can get it online. You can get the CD form at the Welcome Center. But this morning, we're going to kind of get into God's Word and see what would God's Word say about this or that topic. And now let me give a little another asterisk here. Um, what I believe that when we get into God's Word, that we can see principles and patterns about things in life, okay? So principles and patterns. What I mean by that is this. There's some things in Scripture that are spelled out pretty clear, and we follow that pattern to this day, 2,000 years later, okay? Uh, We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Praise God for that, amen? I love gathering together with the body of Christ and getting before the Lord's table. We do this as a pattern of what we see in the New Testament, 
Okay, we, we use a bread, we use a drink, we, we do it in remembrance of him. We're, it's a pattern. We're following the same pattern, okay? A principal verse would be something that maybe doesn't fit perfectly in today. It's not 100% transitioned in today's life, but it's a principle. It's something that leads us to come to a decision that's wise in our culture, okay? And this could be things dealing with um, cultural issues that we face that maybe the New Testament believer didn't face, Okay, so for example, we talked about how do we bridge the harmony between politics in our day and age and as a believer taking the word of God and bridging that gap. The New Testament believer didn't have to worry about how to vote or what to vote for, how to bridge that gap because they didn't have that political freedom given to them under their government. And so we can't find a pattern verse about that, but we can find a lot of principles about values and beliefs that we should hold to, things like sanctity of human life that lead us to understand, okay, this is how I should be living my life based on the values that God's Word teaches me. This is what I'm looking for in my leader when I cast my vote. Does that make sense? So principle versus pattern versus. So when we look into God's Word, we have to understand everything's not going to be spelled out 100% to today's day and age, but I believe we can get some wisdom from God's Word, and it applies to us because it is inspired by God and it is profitable, right, for all things. But the one thing we have to remember, as we said last week, is a phrase I want to repeat it again— I want you to say this with me. I'm going to say it. You repeat it, okay? Context matters. Okay. I told you last week, I can do all things through a verse out of context, right? We have to remember, we can't just pull a verse out of its context and just smack it on something and say, okay, that's, that's what I believe or that's what the Bible says. We have to understand what is this verse actually saying to its original audience, then we understand how then does it apply to us in interpretation, okay? So this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to ask the question of what would God say about church? What would God say about church? If you could sit down with him and have coffee with him, what would he say about church? What are some things that we feel like he would tell us about church? And so Acts chapter 2, and we're going to do a lot of reading. So we're going to jump around Acts a little bit, and then we're going to get into Ephesians in a little bit as well. Um, do some reading from Hebrews, and so I pray that uh, God's word speaks to you this morning. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, this being the disciples, okay, this being the group of believers after Christ has ascended. He's already gone to heaven. And so we know the day of Pentecost, if you kind of study uh, church history and whatnot, we believe this was the starting of the church. This is the beginning of what we call the church. Okay, now some would debate that the church actually started when Jesus called out his disciples in the Gospels. And we'll talk about why that could be based on the definition of the word church or the word that we derive the word church from. And so, but most people would say this is the start of the church. And there's a couple key things we have to understand here. One accord, one place. What does that one accord mean? It was there one mind, one purpose, one direction. Do you think they were all the exact same people, meaning in personality and likes and dislikes? Do you think they were uniform? Everyone thought and did the same thing? They were in unity. And we got to realize unity is not uniformity. We can be unified in Christ, but yet very unique individuals. Okay? We don't rob ourselves of our uniqueness in God trying to be united with someone else. We're united in the common ground of Christ. That unites us, and that's what united 
the early church. And in one place, obviously, we know this is the upper room. So they were together, to get, uh, gathered together, and many would believe they were praying together. Uh, and it's interesting, if you study God's word, look at all the times prayer precedes a move of God. All the time that prayer precedes a moving of God. But let's go on. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We're jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, Day of Pentecost is unfolded. Peter has preached his sermon. Uh, Look at verse 41. As the crowd has been convicted, uh, the Bible says in verse 37, they are pricked in their hearts. Look at verse 41 after he tells them how to be saved. Then he says this, "Then Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Think about that. I know I can't, I can't read this without thinking about this. Imagine being there. 3,000 people got saved and baptized. 3,000 people. It's just, it's just insane to think about that happening. You're going to read on a, couple, a few more thousand get saved and baptized and added to the church again. So it's crazy how God is moving here. But let's go on and read this here. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice that doctrine and prayer are linked in the same level of importance. And by the way, the apostles' doctrine, we got to kind of break that down for a second. What in the world was that? Right? Was that the gospel of Peter? Right? Like the gospel of Andrew? No, no, no. What it means is, what did Jesus say? when he would tell them to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he says, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, right, to the disciples. Jesus is saying, everything I've taught you and communicated to you and displayed before you, go teach it to them. Go reach them with the gospel and then disciple them with these truths. So the apostles' doctrine is the, the doctrine of the apostles. They continue to preach those truths that Jesus revealed to them. Make sense? So let's go on. It says here, uh, doctrine... Fellowship, so fellowship is important. Uh, fellowship is not just eating food together. Okay? And I know Baptists are like, um, fellowship equals meals. That's, isn't fellowship Greek and Hebrew for meals? Isn't that how that works? Um, hallelujah, praise God. And you need the little meatballs, too, in the crock pot with the sauce. That's if you want to be real spiritual. Okay? Um, some of you need to learn about that because some of you bring these little hot dogs. Those are okay, but the meatballs are really where God's going to move. But anyway... I can't believe I didn't get an amen or a testify or nobody got saved just with that. So, um, but when you think about that, when you, this word fellowship, you can go, I, I encourage you, we don't have time to do this and we're already going to probably not get through the whole message, but that's fine. First um, John is a great place to, talk, to read about that fellowship. John breaks down in his epistle, what does it look like for Christians to fellowship together? What does that really mean to have a unity and fellowship as the body of Christ? It's not just a handshake and a smile. That's part of it. It's not just a meal, but that's part of it. It's that unity in Christ. And so I encourage you to look into that a little more if you have time. But then he goes on to verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Again, not uniformity. They weren't just robots, okay? They were unique individuals united in Christ and in the purpose of Christ. That means they believed and heard the apostles' doctrine to the point of applying it to their lives. And we see that in verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them, them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people 
and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There's a couple key things there. Who adds to the church? Isn't this what the Bible says? Paul says this, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. Man, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not anti-church growth movement. I'm not anti-church growth strategies per se. I get why people kind of have a nick for that, or a knack for that. I don't know what a nick for that is, but a knack for that. But if I was sitting here with God, if we were talking to God and he was drinking coffee, by the way, if you like these mugs, you can get one at the Welcome Center. They're really cool, North Garland mugs. Um, if we were sitting and talking about this, I don't think God would open by saying, John, tell me what you're doing to grow my church. God, t- John, tell me what you're doing to get people in the door. God, tell me, or J- John, tell me the strategies you're using to try to convince people to come to church. I don't think that's where he would start. I think he would start with, John, how are you preaching the gospel? How are you laying the word of God before people that my Holy Spirit can work in people's hearts and minds and draw them to repentance? See, we do our part, absolutely. By the way, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. That's not what I'm saying. My point is, we sometimes believe the misconception that we actually grow the church. We invite, we have a part, and it's a vital part. We need to be inviting, we need to be encouraging, we need to be sharing the gospel, but he adds to the church. That also means then that there may be people in the church that have been brought into the church that he never added to the church. You might say, what in the world does that mean? Doesn't he say in Matthew that on that day many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And that was speaking to the the Jewish context. Fast forward to the church context. It means there's tons of people sitting in churches week after week that spiritually were never added to the church. They were never, as the New Testament would say, baptized into the body of Christ. They come and they sit and they say amen and they sing some songs and they hear a good message and they nod their head, but spiritually they've never been added to the church. They might be added physically, they might be on a membership roll, somebody wrote their name down, but their name was never written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we have to understand, we are not the ones that grow the church. He grows his church because it's his church, as we'll get to in a minute. So we read in in Acts, let's go to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews chapter 10, and many of you know that when you talk about church, you can't talk about church without Hebrews 10. And as a pastor, I can't talk about church without using this verse, right? You've been waiting for it. When's he going to get to Hebrews 10? Some of you are like, what's in Hebrews 10? You'll find out in a minute. Okay, verse 19. Hebrews 10 and verse 19, it says this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So there's a new covenant. That new covenant is the New Testament. It's the offer of salvation through grace, through Christ alone. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. By the way, what is my reason for not wavering? Because I'm really good at holding true? Because I'm really strong and self-willed and self-determined to hold? No, I'm just merely believing that he who promised me eternal life will keep it. Verse 24, 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So not provoking unto anger or wrath, but unto love and good works. It's, I'm, I'm encouraging the body to do these good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So in Acts, the belief is they went to church. As we talk about going to church in our understanding of going to church, they gathered in a large crowd, most likely at the temple, in the temple court. And then most would say that when it says house to house, they went into homes and had kind of like mini church services. Also, some could say that churches weren't buildings like this. Praise God, we have this location, but it wasn't like this. It was they met in homes. Usually a room or maybe a designated area of a home was the church, and they would designate that area to be where you had church. Now, this is not saying we need church every day. We have to understand context. We're, the Bible is not telling us if you're not having church every single day, you're wrong. It's not what it means. It's saying this is what the early church did in exercising and practicing this thing called the church. Hebrews says we should do it even more as we see the day approaching. So does it tell us how many times more we should do it? No. It doesn't say do it five times instead of three. It just basically says, as you see the day approaching, and what's that day? The return, right? Christ coming again. As you see that day approaching, and the world is getting to this place where you feel like, man, it's got to be soon. By the way, isn't it interesting that the early church even felt like it was soon? That was the whole point of writing to the Thessalonians. No, you guys didn't miss it, okay? They thought, man, the world's so crappy, we had to miss it. Nope, you didn't. But Hebrews says, as you see that day approaching, you should choose to gather together more when you see the day approaching. So for what purpose? To exhort one another. Because here's what happens. We see the day approaching. What happens humanly when we see the day approaching? If we're not being exhorted by the word of God and other believers, we get our eyes on the stuff that's leading to the day approaching. But when we gather together with the body of Christ and we're exhorted by the word of God, we go, Lord, I believe the day is coming, but I have no fear because perfect love casts out all fear. I know if the day comes, I'm in you and you in me and we're good. See the difference of how we can approach that? And it's funny, in, in recent years, it's almost as though Christians have chosen as the day's approaching to forsake the assembling more than they did before the day was approaching. And I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm not a guy that's going to tell you it's tomorrow. I just was watching a video that apparently someone else set a date. Now um, he's supposed to return in 2028. That's the new date I heard. Okay? I'm not putting my bets on that, though, just, just letting you know. Um, not because God can't come back in 2028, but because I just don't trust people who put, make dates. But when you hear this stuff, man, it's... And by the way, this has been going on. This guy, I was reading this article about this guy who was referencing these dates that were made. He said he was, you know, a believer back in the late 70s. And he remembers the date of like 1981, the Lord was supposed to come. And all these people were just like ready. Like not, not looking beyond 1981. And this pastor that he was listening to said, I have no plans beyond 1981. Financially, for my family, nothing. Because he believed to that degree. 1982 came around. Oh, no, we were wrong. It's 88. 88 came around. Well, it's 94. 94 came around. Oh, it's 2008. You, you see, it just keeps getting pushed back and back and back. 
We're going to talk about what would God say about evolution. And I think sometimes Christians, we do the same thing evolutionists do. They put millions of years backwards. We just keep pushing the time out forward. We're doing the same thing. We're just making stuff up as we go. The Bible says no man knows the day or the time. We can see the signs of the times and go, man, God, we believe it could be soon. I do believe it's soon. But here's the thing. Whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now, does that change my calling as a follower of Christ today? No. And that's why we need each other to come together and exhort each other. So I wanted to read these two passages because I wanted us to see that's the church in the New Testament. If we had to summarize some things we see in the church, this is what we see. Now, remind us of this, though. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about the church, right? I mean, just, by the way, letter after letter after letter was written to church after church after church, all dealing with their own things. And if you're the Corinthian church, you dealt with a lot of things. But what's interesting is what can we summarize? What can we kind of bring it all down to? If God was sitting with us today, what would he want us to know about his church today? So the first thing we have to identify as we're getting short on time, the first thing I think God would say is the church is mine. I think that's what he would start with. The church is mine, meaning God's. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I told you guys we're going to be in a lot of different passages. So Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2. We're going to go to 5 next. I know. Go back a couple pages. You'll be fine. Don't get a paper cut now or anything, okay? Or don't sprain your finger doing this as you're going scrolling, okay? Ephesians 2. We're going to read a couple verses. Then we're going to go to Ephesians 5 and read a couple verses, okay? So Ephesians 2. If you're thankful for God's word this morning, say amen. Aren't you thankful we don't have to guess or listen to man's opinion? We can just go, oh, that's what it says, right? Ephesians 2 and verse 19 says this, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. All seek their own but not the things that are Jesus Christ's. Oh, wow. Woo, I was like, that's not right. That's not right at all. I was in Philippians. I was just making sure you guys knew what the Bible said. Y'all were like, what translation is he using? I'll tell you, it's like two pages for me, though. And I was like, one, okay. All right. Strike that from the recording. Okay. You guys laugh with me, okay, not at me. Okay, Ephesians 2. For real this time, though, okay, Ephesians 2.19. Okay, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners. We good? Okay, good, all right. But fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. So that's an amazing verse right there. Fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's an amazing verse and passage of verses. We are the body of Christ, and we are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone and the apostles and prophets. We are built upon the truth of God's word. It says that we 
fitly joined together. That means you were made specifically to join together in this body perfectly, just as you are, as God has gifted you and given you the spiritual gifts that you have. We're, we're called to come together. And he goes on to say this. I love that he says that. A holy temple in the Lord. So Jesus Christ is the, the cornerstone. He is the, the one that we've gathered together, the temple of the Lord, not the temple of self. And we're continually built together individually as a habitation of God. Now Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 25. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to, catch this now, himself. Present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How are we washed as the body of Christ? We're washed by the word of God. Now, what does that mean? That means we've learned the truth of God, the gospel truth of Jesus Christ from the word of God. We have been washed by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. It's important we understand this, that we are cleansed not by what we do externally or religiously or by coming to a church, but we are made the church when we are washed by the word of God. What does that mean? I'm, I'm regenerated, the Bible says, and it kind of alludes to. I'm regenerated internally by the spirit of God. I am made a new creature. And you notice that it says that he is the one who gave himself for us, and he is the one that will present the church to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. How can I be spotless and wrinkle-free? Through Christ. See, it's, it's, it's by him and it's for him. So if the church is his, this is his church, then everything we do as a church should be directed towards him. Everything we think as a church should be directed towards him. It is his church because he gave himself for the church. We are the body of Christ, so we worship no one but Christ. Everything we do puts him on display. It's not about me. It's not about the band. It's not about a program. It's not about a ministry per se. Those things all are meant to just display and show Christ. But the music we do is, is for him. The words we preach, for him. The time of communion, for him. The prayers we pray, for him. And you might say, well, so we're not supposed to pray for ourselves? No, of course we pray for ourselves. We, we seek and we ask and we, we petition him. But why do I go to him and ask for things? Because I believe he can do it because through Christ he is my father. Therefore he is glorified. Even when I'm asking for him to intervene, as the rummaries, I can't imagine the prayer and the time spent in prayer, praying over those loved ones. And God responded to that, not because Dave and Ann are great Christians. They're pretty holy, pretty great, pretty spiritual Christians, okay? And literally, go to Dave and go, mm-hmm. That was because she's like, I know I am, mm-hmm, okay? <laughs> Praise. Um, but why did God do that? Because God decided that that would be how he would be best glorified. And so we praise him. Even when we come praying, God, intervene this way. We praise him, and it's all through Christ. And I know you think to yourself, well, pastor, that's kind of obvious. Of course everything in the church should be about him. But guys, across the board, that's not obvious to everyone. 
That's why people leave church, because church didn't do something they liked. The question wasn't, does this honor and glorify God? Is this scripturally sound? It was, I just don't like that you changed your service a half hour later. I don't really like the color of the chairs. I can't believe someone would do that. Guys, I'm telling you, those are extreme examples, but people... People think church, I would have to argue that I think there are people, Christians, in our country today that genuinely believe church is more about them than about Jesus. And they come in going, you better give me what I want. And we're going to talk about it in a minute here. They don't even come that often, but when they come, you better convenience them. But we'll get to that in a minute. So I know, hold on, that's going to, that'll be bumpy for some. Okay, so. So everything we do puts them on display. When we do that, what happens? When we're elevating Christ, he will continue to strengthen his church. John chapter 10, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, but we realize that he is the shepherd, right, over his flock. His, we're his sheep. I know that word sheep's become like a bad word nowadays. I saw a guy say, I'm not a sheep. I get why he's saying it. I look, I am a sheep. Not that kind of sheep, but I'm a sheep. So context matters, right? Okay. So I, I'm a sheep, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm in the fold of Christ. Man, and he is my shepherd. He is watching over us and providing for us. And by the way, protecting us. Now that doesn't mean he's not going to allow the wolves to come in every now and then. It doesn't mean he's not going to send us out into the wolves. But that's all for his glory. Did you catch what Pastor Greg read in Romans 8? We don't really talk about that part of the verse. We love the part where it says, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And it's true, and I love what Pastor Greg said. But what did he say? We are killed all the day long as sheep led to the slaughter. Even in our death as a martyr for Christ, the love of God is not separated from us. But that means that there were followers of Christ who joyfully, and you might say, no way, study church history, who joyfully, willfully surrendered their physical bodies to the the stake to be burned, or to be beheaded, all for the glory of God. And so nothing will separate us from the cross. So everything is about him. My life is about him. Our church should be about him. So when we desire to follow his purposes for the church and not our own, we will see God do great things. When we fix our eyes on Christ as a church, we will see fruit produced. When we fix our eyes on him, we will see fruit produced. Real quick, let me just give you these, and then we'll kind of see where we're at. Uh, a life that connects with other believers is a fruit that is produced when, as a church, we put our eyes on Christ. That's fellowship. We see the met needs of others in love. That's ministry. We see devotion to the learning about God and his word. That's called discipleship. We participate in people accepting Christ. That's evangelism. And we celebrate God in worship and prayer. That's worship. And all of these are found in Acts Chapter 2, verses 41 through 48. We see all those things happening, fellowship and discipleship and ministry and evangelism and worship, and all of it is equally valuable and important to the body of Christ because it all is about Jesus. We only evangelize because we've been saved through Christ. We only disciple because we've been discipled by the Word of God through the Holy Spirit in Christ. We only, everything is about Him. These purposes make up our desire as a church to be, and it says it in your bulletin, it says it all over, a kingdom-focused church that loves God, loves others, and loves to serve. That's why we exist as a church. Kingdom-focused, focused on him and his kingdom, not our own. So 
we see that, that he is the point of the church. Everything we do as a church is about him. Let's see if we can move into the next section. So Hebrews chapter 10, we read these verses. The church is vital. The church is vital. The church is his and the church is vital. Why is the church vital? To keeping us connected with one another in true community. Now, we already read the verses, but you guys saw where it said there in Hebrews chapter 10, it said, let us draw near. I love the way that verse begins. It shows me that in context, we're drawing near to Christ, which in turn means we're drawing near to one another. We cannot draw near to Christ and not, and not grow near to his church. It's his church. He died and loves his church, gave himself for his church. Uh, the passage goes on to say in verses 23 and 24 that we are to hold fast. He'll hold fast in our faith. Hold fast in our faith in the promise because he is faithful. We are to consider one another. To consider one another. It means to consider attentively. To fix one eyes and mind upon. So let me ask you a question. Have you considered one another this week between last Sunday and now? Have you considered somebody in the body of Christ? Have you, have you fixed your mind upon them? Have you prayed for them? Have you lifted up before the Lord? Have you reached out to them? Have you sent a text to them or a card to them and just said, I'm praying for you. I love you. Thank you for being a part of the body of Christ. I mean, have we, have we fixed our mind on others or do we get so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't even think about the church Sunday to Sunday? I mean, it was so cool. Friday night and Saturday, we did a camp out here at the church. There's a small group of people, man, it was awesome. It was so cool just to hang out with each other and talk to each other and just laugh and fellowship and just see one another. It was amazing. It was just great to do all of that in Christ to think about one another in that way. We tend to think about each other only in the negative ways when it comes to believers in the church. We think about each other in negative ways. We don't like that so-and-so said this. We don't like that so-and-so said that. We don't, we don't consider one another in the way Hebrews talks about unto love and good works. And so we need to be challenged in that. Are we considering one another? And then also Hebrews 10 that tells us it's so vital. Church is so vital that we should not forsake the assembling together. Now, I want to give you guys some information here, just a little breakdown. Uh, this word church that we use is not the original Greek word. And many of you have studied this and looked into all this. When William Tyndale translated his New Testament, he used the word ekklesia, which is really better translated congregation in English. However, church comes from a different root, a different basic idea, and implies more the place of gathering. So church in its origin of, of meaning, implies more where we gather. Ecclesia involves those that gather. Does that make sense? But when Tyndale's translation was being kind of pushed around, the word church had become kind of ingrained. And so they chose, even in English translations that used Tyndale's translation, they still chose to use the word church instead of congregation in some texts. And what that ends up doing is it puts the emphasis on the building. So now we have to explain to people it's not the building, it's the people. So I want to tell you what this word ekklesia, which is the original Greek word of implying church, means. The first part of the word ek, E-K, means out of, away from. Out of and away from. The second part of the word kaleo means to call, to invite, to call by name a called one. And I love that called one. Do you know who we are in the body of Christ? We're the called ones. 
We've been called by the grace of God. We've responded to that call in faith, and now we're in Christ. The call is given to all the world, amen? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The general call is to everyone. But in Romans, it talks about this specific call. Those that receive the gospel, they've received that call. They've, they've not just heard the call, they've received the call. And now it's specifically to them, they become the body of Christ. So praise God, the call is for anyone. But those that have received it, we are the called. So ecclesia basically means called out from and called unto an assembly. Called out from the world, called unto an assembly. And we love that. And we even say that we will not just attend church, but we'll be the church. But some people have thought, well, I don't need the church then because I can go be the church on my own. Now, we'll talk about that in a second, but there's a key in this definition we can't ignore. A called out assembly. We are an assembly of the body of Christ. I love this definition when I was studying this. One author said this, those who, this assembly, those who anywhere in a city, in a village, constitute such a company and are united into one body. Those who anywhere, anywhere the body of Christ chooses to gather becomes a church. So here's the cool thing. I understand today's day and age in our culture today. Some states and counties are telling churches you can't gather. And churches are saying, we've respected every other thing you've said. We will do this respectfully, but we're going to gather together as the body of Christ. Some are doing that outdoors. Some are doing that indoors. The church that's gathering outside is just as much a church as the one that's gathering inside. Remember when we had to leave our building for a few months? How many of you were here when we had to go to the township hall and have service there? Okay. Some of you know there's the fire hall right down the road here. We had to have church there because this building was being worked on. We had to have church in a, in a township hall. Junior church was in the kitchen. Thinking about that, putting the kids and the knives together, probably not a good idea. I didn't worry about it, though, because I wasn't teaching junior church. So, but that, it's, the assembly, it's the gathering together that becomes this idea of church. We must be consistent. Hear me now, church. We must be consistent. It is that vital. The key def in the definition of ecclesia is it is a called out, called unto assembly. Yes, when we are living our Christian lives, showing our good works and preaching the gospel, we are being the church out there, of course. That's what we mean when we say go be the church. We mean do what the church is all about out there in your everyday life. But that is never meant to take the place of gathering together. Now, this is usually where someone will say one of two things, and you've heard it, I've heard it, here we go. I don't have to go to church to be a... Is that a true statement? Absolutely it is. Praise God it is. Because there's no conditions on my salvation. I'm a Christian because Christ has sovereignly shown to offer me salvation. I've received it by grace through faith. I'm saved. I, there's no conditions on being a Christian. Other, the only condition is receive Christ. That's the only condition. Repent and turn from your sins and receive Christ. But I'll tell you this, and I'm going to get to it in a minute here. I don't believe that's what Christ has for us, is that mindset. The other thing is, I just don't get into church. I just can't get into it. I just can't get behind church. So I do my own thing with God. I do my own thing with God. Not being judgmental, I'm just telling you. I've had conversations with people and lovingly I've asked them, okay, tell me what you do with God. 
What's your study life like? What's your devotional life like? I'm telling you guys, if you, if you avoid church with consistency, your spiritual life individually will, will start to die. I'm just telling you. That's not just the word of God. That's experience. Every person that's on that, well, me and God do our own thing. Okay, tell me what you're studying right now. Well, I haven't really read the Bible in a while. I haven't really gotten into God's word on my own. We should do that whether we're actively attending a church or not. The point is we need the church. We need the church. It's not so that we can stay saved or get saved or keep our salvation. No, no, no. We're saved apart from anything else, Christ alone. But the church is vital. My comment to both of those statements would be this. I believe God's comment may be, you will not grow the way you can and should grow apart from being connected to a local assembly. You can grow to some degree, I believe, because the Holy Spirit of God will grow us if we are truly in his word and seeking him. But I don't know that we will grow the way we can grow or should grow apart from being connected to local assembly. Of course, you can study the word and grow in your private devotions, and we should be doing that anyway. Of course we can. But how are you fulfilling the call to partake in the Lord's Supper individually? How are you fulfilling the call to come together and take part in the Lord's Supper when it's just you? That's meant for the church to gather together. That's written to the church at Corinth, by the way, not the individual in Corinth. It's, it's for the body. How are you using your spiritual gifts to edify the body of Christ if you are not a part of a body of Christ? See, these are just the simple questions from God's word. I think pretty implicit that church is meant to be a part of our everyday life. The truth is, the New Testament does not encourage or suggest Christianity without the church. The local church, a local assembly for encouragement, comfort, even for correction and church discipline if needed. That's, that's the part of the church. We're coming together to, to encourage each other to be more like Jesus Christ. And we need the church. The church is vital. I also believe you can be encouraged to be here, but also be an encouragement to others in the church by just being here. By just showing up, you can be an encouragement to others. By just sharing a word of encouragement. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever stopped to consider, this is just what I think of, and actually I'm going to share an article with you just quickly. Have you ever stopped to consider who may be disappointed that you chose to not go to church? You might say, well, I'm not worried about other people. But if we're called to provoke one another to love and good works, shouldn't we at least consider how me choosing to not be a part of an assembly might be actually hurting the body of Christ? And I'm not able to then do what God has called me to do, which is to provoke one another. By the way, that means you're not being provoked either to loving good works. You're just stuck in your own head, what you come up with, and all the junk around us, all the negative negativity around us. That's all you've got without the church to tell you, hey, there's something more. There's a, there's a hope that's better. I want to read just part of this article, and then we'll have to wrap it up. We'll see what we do next week as far as we finish up the last little part of this. I'm pretty much done, but we'll see. I want to make sure we have time for Lord's Supper. But I, I, a couple weeks ago, I was kind of just looking through some emails, and I got an email from a, a resource that is connected to the school I went to at BBC, or called BBC. And one of the professors there, Dr. Carson, uh, he wrote this little article, and it was just something on his heart and mind, and I read it, and I thought, oh, Lord, how great is that, that this man is saying some of the things that I've thought, that you've thought, that would tie in perfectly with this. And so I'm not going to read all of it. I'll make it available if anyone wants to read it. But um, here's basically what he says. The title of the article is, Who Do You Disappoint on Sundays? So I read that in my email subject line. I was like, oh, we're clicking that. That's, 
I'm buying the clickbait right there. So he says this, and this is his words, okay? And he's also a pastor as well as a professor, one of the best professors I've ever had. He said, recently as I talked with my eight-year-old, I invited him to go to church with me to do some work. I didn't make a distinction between the building or being around our church family. His immediate question was, who is going to be there? As we talk, I named who I thought I might be there, but I honestly didn't know. I was not sure who would show up for this particular meeting and who might bring their children. By the way, as a parent of kids, that question gets asked a lot. Who's, who's going to be there? Is someone I can play with? No? Mm, might stay home. He agreed. Here's what he said. He agreed upon my assessment of who I thought might be there. He grabbed a skateboard and other paraphernalia to go have fun with other children. Before he, we left, though, I said, Hey, bub, I know you are excited to go. Every parent has done this. However, if I am wrong, I don't want you to be disappointed. His response left me saddened. He said, Dad, I'm used, used of being disappointed at who is not at church. I read this like 50 times and never got emotional. Um, I'm used of being disappointed. He says, as a father who is striving to raise his children to love and serve Jesus supremely and others sincerely, my heart melted when I heard this response to me. He did not attend for it to capture my thoughts or the rest of my day, however it did. Not just that day, but now for days. It has reverberated in my mind and heart. How sad that my son would say, I'm used to being disappointed at who is not at church. In reality, so am I many times. He goes on to say a little bit about COVID-19 in church attendance. This was written just literally a couple weeks ago. He says, since March, obviously, church attendance has basically been absolutely crazy in our church. We still have multiple families who have not had the privilege. Oh, thank you. She's tired of watching me snot all over the place here. That's right. Yeah, she's just like, please stop doing that. Um, all right, we'll get through this. Okay, since March of this year, church attendance has basically been absolutely crazy. In our church, we still have multiple families who have not had the privilege to join us again since the pandemic. There are a variety of reasons for the concerns over safety. Listen to what he says now. We understand that. In fact, we do not want them to return until they are comfortable and can participate freely without worry and great concern. We long for the days when we can all get together again under one roof without any worrying about this virus. But that is not what I'm referring to in this brief article. So you might say, oh, well, yeah, but of course church attendance is going to be weird because of COVID. That's not what he's talking about. He's acknowledging that and putting that aside. He goes on to say this. The sad reality is in the United States, few and fewer people prioritize church attendance. Pre-COVID, pre-COVID, as a nation, only 23% of Americans go to church every week. Another 10% report they go about 50% of the time. Further, 10% more report. 10, Further, 10% more reported they go once a month. This is not just them out there. This is Christians are not making church a priority. And I'm, I'll be honest with you guys. Guys, I'm, I'm kind of done with the, but you don't have to go to be a Christian. Of course you don't. But if that's your mindset, why is that your mindset? I mean, the Bible seems to suggest we should just desire to come together, but that's fine. He goes on to say this, Forget America as a whole. Consider yourself. Take a few moments to answer these self-reflective questions. 
How often do you gather with your church family? Not just for church services, but just gathering together. What is a valid reason to not go to church services? How often do you make other activities and events a greater priority than attending your church services? What role does corporate worship function, functionality play in your life? Now, again, this is not about making anyone feel guilty, beating yourself up. If you do that, you're missing the point. It's for me and all of us together as a church to say, man, do I vitalize church to the point where I don't just show up? Because we can show up and check the box and never do what Hebrew says. But do we engage our church family? Are we active in our church family? And I'm not even talking about just serving and doing something. I mean, when you come to church, do you come going, God, help me to be a blessing to someone today. God, help me to encourage someone today. Last thing, and then we're going to close in prayer. He says this. There are two major problems with missing church. First, you miss the work of God in your life through corporate worship. Second, others miss what you can do for them. The benefits from church go two ways. You receive something, you provide something. There's a little bit more in the article if you want to check it out. It's, it's really good. But what I want you to think about is this. Have you vitalized, is, is, or rather, is church a, a vital part of your everyday life? Not just going to church. Because listen, there was a long time where the church, people came to church three times a week at every event because legalism said you had to to keep your salvation or to keep the role or to look the part. And I'm not talking about that. If that's your motivation, then you're in the wrong. But man, I just, I just wonder when I scratch my head and go, why do so many churches and pastors spend so much energy and money and resources, Christians, for believers who already have Christ? I don't, get, I don't get worked up about a lot of things. I'm not going to get worked up about stuff going on in our world today because that's just sinners sinning. I'm not gonna, I don't like it. I can speak out against it, and, and you should if you, if you have a passion for that. But I don't get worked up about that. But, man, I get, I get worked up when believers seemingly are just rejecting the truth of God's word. And that just eats at me. And so what do we do? How do we apply this to our lives? I want you to bow your heads right there where you are. We're going to have a time of invitation and then go to communion. For our junior church workers, I'm praying they'll give me grace and forgiveness as we go over. But, but I want to encourage you right there where you are. We're just going to have a, a short time of prayer. And then we're going to go to communion. You know what? Maybe we'll do this. I'm, I, I apologize to the praise team. We're going to change it up a little bit. We're just going to have some prayer. We're not even going to sing, guys. We're just going to have some prayer right now. So I want you to just bow your heads right there. Just, let's just pray together. God, we come before you today as your body. And we, we understand it is your church. Thank you so much for through your grace adding us to the church. Lord, you have made this, this place possible. You have made this gathering possible. And I don't know about anyone else, Lord, but I, I'm so thankful. And I know many here would echo this, Lord. I'm so thankful for time we get to gather together. And I pray, Lord, that this morning not one person would leave here with their head down, feeling guilty or shamed, but that that is not the point. Lord, I pray that we would leave here today desiring for your Holy Spirit to lead us, not man. Desiring for your word to strengthen us 
Father, and let me just say, Lord, I know what happens in messages like this. People run to two ends of an extreme. They either start beating themselves up, tearing themselves down. Lord, there's a place for conviction, but it's unto repentance, and then we walk from that. So, Lord, I pray that that's not what we do. But also, Lord, I pray that what doesn't happen is that we we think for a moment that there's, there's never a reason that we can't uh, have something going on outside of church and, and not make it to church or some family stuff maybe comes up and we, or sport, whatever it is, Lord. We tend to think, okay, well, then we can't miss church ever. And I pray that we would not go into it with that kind of a, that kind of a mindset, that we would just make wise decisions with our time and choose to just make gathering as an assembly a priority. And then, Lord, when things come up in life as they do, vacations, time of rest, time to get away. Lord, there's nothing wrong with those things. And so I pray that we would not go that way either, but that we would walk in a, in a balance of prioritizing the assembling if we can be to be there. And Lord, when things come up to know that, that we're not saved or kept in our salvation by attending church, we desire it, but we're confident in you. So Father, in all these things, I just prayed, give us wisdom. And we ask that you would lead, guide, and direct in all that is said and done. Bless now this time of communion that you would be glorified above all things. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.